the owner of the house who brings out of his store room new shepherds as well as Thank you, Ryan. Man, the body of Christ has already been a blessing this morning. Singing, communing, Danny, thank you for those thoughts. Barry, thank you for using your gift and talent to lead us in worship. And thank you, those who know how to clap on the, is it the, I don't even know, is it the upbeat or the downbeat? I always have to wait. And then I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's terrible, but I appreciate that so much that there are people who have the gift of rhythm. That is something the Lord skipped over uh, me on. So, uh, anyway. So it's 90 years ago, 90 years ago, that something remarkable was happening in this little public house in England. It's a place where a group of professors would get together every Tuesday afternoon. It was a public house... Looks just like this today, and it has the same name, the Eagle and Child. Great name for a little restaurant, what we would call a diner, what the British call a public house. Most of the guys that gathered there on Tuesday afternoons were there to share, fellowship. But a few of them had a little club, and they met in this little corner 90 years ago, 1933, 1934, 1935. And most of them were professors at the local college, the world's oldest university, Oxford University. And they gathered wearing their tweed jackets, middle-aged men. They would gather to talk and share, have a sandwich, enjoy each other's fellowship. But most of all, they were there to share ideas. Most of them were English professors. And like to gather and think about things that they were writing about, talking about, things that they had in their imaginations that they wanted to share there at the Eagle and the Child. One of them's name was John. And John had this fantastical ideas. He wanted to write a book someday about elves and a power that could contain the whole world and destroy things. And another guy's name was Clive. And he dreamed, although he was already a prolific writer and a brilliant man, he dreamed about writing about a lion who could speak worlds into order. And they gathered there every Tuesday to talk. And I want you to imagine, some of you are probably on to who these guys are and already know this story a little bit, but I want you to imagine, if you can, being there in the Eagle and Child on a Tuesday in the 30s. And imagine what that would be like to you sit down and you're watching this all unfold and maybe you notice a group of men over in the corner sitting below a certain picture where they always sit and maybe they've got an old pipe with some old tobacco coming out of it that they've got in their tweed jacket and these guys look educated. How would you react? You may say, well, I probably wouldn't even notice them at all. You probably would be right. Because these guys, as they gathered, it wasn't a big to-do. There wasn't any fanfare. Nobody even really knew who they were or what they were about. They were just old, middle-aged professors who probably had spent too much time in academia. But 90 years later, we don't know John as a guy who just came up with some ideas. We know John as 
J.R.R. Tolkien, whose ideas became the Lord of the Rings series and The Hobbit, as he got encouragement from that group. And we don't know Clive as a guy with an old-fashioned name. We know him as C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, and probably the greatest 20th century Christian writer in the world. It was there in this eagle and child place that with just a little bit talk about God, the kingdom of heaven came alive and millions, if not billions now, have been influenced by a little lunch club who called themselves the Inklings. It is a remarkable story. Jesus had a one-liner. Maybe like an old farmer, he had a one-liner. One that he came back to over and over again. And that one-liner was always, the kingdom of heaven is like. It was his favorite topic. It was the thing that he shared more than anything else. Ten times in Matthew he brings it up. Seven times in Matthew chapter 13 alone, he's going to say, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It's like a treasure. It's like a field. It's like a pearl. It's like weeds and wheat. And Jesus used this phrase as his core, I guess, via, way, however you want to describe it, avenue of getting out his main message. His main message was trying to say in this one line, the kingdom of heaven is like, he was trying to convey the nearness of the kingdom of God. The rule and reign right here and right now. So more than anything, over and over, if you read the Gospels, Jesus is going to say, I want to tell you what it's like to live in a new reality. I want to tell you what it's like to live under the reign of God here and now. This last summer, we talked all summer about it as we went through the book of Ephesians. We had lights up here on screen. They looked like this, a Venn diagram. This is what Jesus is trying to convey more than anything else in his message. That we are living in a time between an old order of things and a coming order of things, which we call heaven. And he's trying to say to us in the Gospels that area that overlaps. This is where you are. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he uses parables primarily to get this point across. Trying to convey then, as he does now, that we are living in this age, the kingdom here and now, and so here is what it's like to live in it. And this topic is what Jesus loved to talk about more than anything else. I want to get that home. And if this morning, if you're going, Jake, you talk about this so much, then I will take that as a pat on the back. If you're like, Jake, we're tired of hearing about this, I will finally say, mission accomplished. The church's number one need, from my perspective, is to understand the nearness of God here and now. So, that's why Jesus talked about it so often. He would say to us, as he did then, I believe he would now, trying to describe this area of life we're living in, 
where the presence of heaven can be accessed partly, but not yet fully, he would say, maybe 90 years ago, the kingdom of heaven is like a group of old professors talking about God so they can dream of a way to convey God to the world. In the Bible, he says it this way. Three short verses for us this morning. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Hint, hint, last week if you were here. Until it worked all throughout the dough. What's the kingdom of heaven like? Jesus trying to describe what's it look like to live in this in-between. Jesus says it's mustard and it's dough. An annoying weed to first century Jews and a burping fungus. That's what the kingdom is like. Bryson, that's what yeast is, a burping fungus, okay? Mustard and dough. Of course, mustard in the first century of Jesus was that obnoxious weed. Some, some writers of the rabbinical schools said, do not ever plant mustard in your garden. We might call it today, we probably don't plant mustard seed. There was two types in the, in the Middle East. We would probably say it's like henbit or ragweed or that stuff that I found out from Shane Sawyer's called Little Barley. That stuff is awful. Maybe you'd call it the Bermuda grass that you just can't keep out of your tomato garden. You pull it, you spray it, you pick it, you kill it, and then next spring, what happens? There it is. That's the idea of mustard. Mustard seed, Jesus said, is like the kingdom. It starts small, spreads in the roots, and can never be extinguished. Here is a mustard seed in a little glass vial. You probably can't even see it rolling around. If you sign up for a ministry today, you get one of these. It's a way of noticing how small it is, but Jesus' point is it can't be stopped. It's mustard. That's what the kingdom is like. Yeast is similar. A fungus carried on the wind, used to bake. Jesus says that the kingdom is like a woman who would take a little bit of starter dough. This isn't a yeast packet. Some of you probably do starters for your bread. That's what you're talking about here. You baked bread daily, so you'd have starter. And then she takes 60 pounds of flour. This is a wink-wink by Jesus throwing back to Sarah preparing 60 pounds of flour in Genesis 18, representing an enormous amount of hospitality, probably for Jesus here representing the entire world. And Jesus says the kingdom is like this fungus that flies on the wind being inserted into this enormous amount of dough, but yet having the power to slowly impact the whole. That's yeast. 
It's unseen. It's subversive. If you notice in verse 33, the NIV interprets verse 33 as mixed into. There it's on the screen. Kingdom of heaven's like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into. That's not a great interpretation of the Greek word there. The Greek word is actually the woman cryptoed. It's where we get the word cryptic. The idea is she conceals it. She hides it. In other words, something she's putting something into something larger that's mostly unseen, but she knows will directly affect the whole. It's cryptic, but yet it works everywhere. Now what Jesus is doing here is this. Using everyday terms, he's trying to get our imaginations to come alive. Our imaginations to ignite with potential for us to go, oh my goodness, if that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, then what does that look like in me? He's trying to ignite our imagination to what is possible when we give God a little seed or a fungus that flies on the wind. That kingdom is like mustard and dough. When we live in this place in the in-between of knowing that God is here, and when we in turn not just know it, but we obey it, and we follow it, and we believe it, what we're going to call this morning, when we give God our very best yes, with an exclamation point, something happens. Something powerful happens. That's Jesus' point here when he says, here's what the kingdom is like. And I, won't, I don't want you to miss that there is something happening in both of these parables. The one about the mustard and the one about the yeast is that, yes, you probably saw that God does the heavy lifting. He causes the growth. He makes the seed become a plant and then a tree. He makes the bread rise. That's the power of the yeast. But in the parable, the man had to say yes to planting the mustard And the woman had to say yes to mixing it in the dough. And the point Jesus is getting at is that if you find yourself in the kingdom of God, which is what we call being a Christian, those yeses, when you began that walk with Jesus, and any small or large yes after, has immense potential in this space between the old and the coming. And this is why we're here today. This is what Inspire Sunday is all about. And really what every Sunday should be about. And really, Jake, what every day should be about, right? If I correct myself. Every day as followers of Jesus, we are here to grow and to transform and to partner with God in the ongoing revealing of His Son to the world by giving Him our best Yes. And I want you to see today just three quick principles coming from this parable. These two parables. Three best principles of when we give Jesus a yes. I would ask you to write these down. They're not world shattering, but they are. If you will live by them, they will be life shattering. They will change you. There's three truths of this yes. And the first one is this. And may we believe this this morning, church family. No yes, <laughs> it's hard to say, no yes 
is too small or unimpressive. It's mustard seed and yeast. It's small and grows. It's almost imperceptible. When we begin with a small yes, it's not that we say, well, that's not good enough. Jesus goes, that's awesome. When we crack the door, it's not that God goes, well, you didn't bust it open. God says, that's enough. I'll start there. That's Jesus' point of living in the kingdom. It's five minutes of prayer, five minutes of scripture in the morning or in the evening. It's a commitment to showing up, to say my yes in 2023 is going to be to be here at Bible class. It's a willingness to push against that comfort zone, no matter if that's a centimeter or an inch. It's a smile. It's a greeting. It's an extra text. It's a move out of my row where you've even made a butt impression to go and make somebody else to have some space. It's teaching a kid's class. It's showing up even when you have no idea who will be there. See, Jesus is saying in the kingdom there is no small yes because a yes opens a door. A yes pushes out a bad habit. A yes restores a relationship. A yes creates new and beautiful opportunities. A yes sets your feet in a new direction. So today, this principle built by this parable is that we can't look at Jesus' words today and say, well, that's not me. That's not for me. Or to say, I'm not made to do that or I'm too young or I'm too old. I want you to know every one of those excuses that comes to our minds are lies. Nothing is unimpressive in the kingdom of God done in the name of Jesus. Nothing. And that leads us to our second principle of a yes. Saying yes to mustard and to yeast is that any yes carries immense value. Immense value. I wouldn't be here today loving Jesus, married to a loving follower of Jesus named Allison, getting to share in Scripture with an amazing church family if I wouldn't have had a first grade teacher sit down with me as a kid. Or a fourth grade teacher who brought in a sandbox and burned Sodom and Gomorrah in front of us and I thought it was the coolest Bible lesson ever. We had this wheel away sandbox that she would it was she would always use it. She was I think she was a pyro, but it was cool. Right? Those yeses they made made an immense value and change in my life. I want to ask you how much you I'll describe this to you, but how much would you be willing to pay for this wood chip on the screen? If we were at an auction, we'd say this wood chip is up for auction. It's two inches by a half inch wide. I don't know what kind of wood it is. I'm not a very good auctioneer. I need Corbin Throgmorton up here. He's pretty good at that. Can you believe that this little wood chip, two inches by half inch wide, a couple years ago, sold at auction for $275,000? A small wood chip with impressive value. But this wood chip has quite a story. It's a chip of wood wood chip from 
the Wright brothers' first airplane, from the first propeller off the airplane. It was stored from 1903 till the 60s in an Air Force museum when in 1969, Neil Armstrong took it and put it in his pocket to go to the moon. So it's not only been on the, this wood chip was not only part of the first flight, this wood chip was part of the first moon landing. So it sold for an immense value. It's quite a story for such a small object, but that, again, is Jesus' point. A small seed planted becomes a tree for the birds to nest in. If you cross-reference that, our parable in Matthew 13, 31, with Ezekiel 17, you can do that this afternoon, you see that the point Jesus is making is not only that it becomes big, but the birds represent all the nations will come to it. Ezekiel 17 is this idea and this prophecy that God will make a tree and everybody will find roost or shade. That's Jesus' point. What starts small has immense value. What starts with a little bit of yeast in a gigantic amount of dough, what'd you say, 83 bre- loaves of bread? It slowly does its work and gives rise to every part. See, we really have no idea how much a yes to Jesus, how much weight that carries. Whether it's just opening up your home to teens, whether it's saying a prayer, starting a prayer with your, with your family or your spouse, whether it's that communion visit to the elderly as part of our ministry on Sunday, whether it's a quarter spent with junior hires upstairs on, Wednesday, on a Sunday morning, whether it's just saying, I don't know what to do as a site leader for Go Weekend, but I'm going to do it, or whether it's a kid's devo up here just because you want to share something with children. All those yeses in the kingdom carry a weight that lasts forever. You notice that? See, the things we'll talk about in heaven won't be the things that are passing away. We'll talk about the little seeds and the little yeasts in heaven that last forever. We'll go up to somebody and say, you know what, that, that, that scripture you shared with me on text one day Man, I know we've been here for 10,000 years, but I just remembered it. I want to share that with you. That made a difference in my life. So where will you give that yes today? And finally, the last principle is this. Is that Jesus is sharing that our yes, when we give Jesus that yes, he's going to work well beyond our ability. And I want to lean into something for a second because we all this morning, young and old, in between, in middle school and high school, you guys are just starting to feel this, and you're hoping that someday it'll go away, and it won't. That's the bad news. All of us are trapped believing false identities about ourselves. Falsehoods like, I'm unworthy, or falsehoods like, I'm not gifted that way, or that's just who I am, or I don't have that ability, or I can't do what they do or she does, or I don't know enough, or they don't like me, so I can't go to that. And on and on, smart enough, good enough, old enough, wise enough, young enough, 
Those are all falsehoods that limit God's ability. But I want to show you a passage. It comes from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Oh, man, this is what I've prayed over this passage. I want this just to fall on your ears gently if you need it or if you need it heavily. May God do that to you. Look at the truth Paul lays down for us here. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Which is great news. But why did he do that? So that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Do you get that? So many of us are trapped by false identities. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yes, you were. But once you were saved, you're not the sinner. You are a saint rescued and redeemed by the Holy Spirit to go out and do good works. Amen? That's the truth of the gospel. The gospel proclaims that when Jesus' work was finished on the cross, you were made righteous. And it's crazy how much we want to live into these false identities. In Christ, you're no longer your old self. You used to be that person, but you're not. You're living in a new reality because of grace. You are now a child of God displaying, and that's not even the right way to say it, is it, Jake? Talking to myself here. I'm not displaying the righteousness of God. I have become the righteousness of God. Whew. That's my identity. So the yes you give today for 2023, and I hope it's at the ministry fair because the church is supposed to do it together. We're not supposed to be out just doing our own thing and saying, well, I'm living for Jesus. There's no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not in the Bible. Yes, we want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you can't keep it personal. Our faith is communal, as Danny said so well. But our yes today will take you beyond your ability. I have no right. I have no worth. I have no reason. There is no good reason that Jake Perkins should be a preacher. If you saw my list of sins, past and current, there would be no reason. But by the grace of God. It goes well beyond your ability. So we've had some church family that recently have been saying Yes to Jesus. And I'm going to show you a little video where it's about six minutes long. I want you guys to see and hear from them to get inspired today. And then we'll wrap up with one more passage. But I want you to hear the yes that some of your church family has been saying. Chaz, if you'll hit these lights up here, it'll show up a little bit better. And then we'll watch this video. It happened probably about 25 years ago. I've always been a believer in Jesus, but I've never been a follower. And when I started following, evangelism was a big thing for Kelly and I both. And uh, we just wanted to share the good news of Jesus with everyone we could. Um, We started out uh, helping support our missionaries and going to see them and encourage them and find out what they needed uh, to better share God's word in their country. But 
But the whole time we kept thinking about what do we need to do at home? And uh, Jake came to us one day with uh, Friends Speak. So Marilyn and I got together, we started organizing, and we started getting training done for uh, the people that were interested in reading God's Word and speaking just conversational English with our Spanish-speaking friends here in the community. And we had so much response to that that it's been incredible. We've built relationships um, with people that we probably wouldn't have otherwise. And we've got two different home studies going right now. Uh, Katie and I read with some ladies on Monday night. Uh, Sandra and Edith study with some ladies on Tuesday night. And then we have the Wednesday night deal at church. And it's been such a blessing getting to know people and just, I can't tell you how much it has blessed my life. And I look forward to what's coming next and how God works this out. Well, good morning, church family. I've had many instances on how saying yes to Jesus has changed my life. Accepting him in my heart and being baptized would be the ultimate yes. Even though it took that seed many years to begin to sprout, and I would continue its work in progress. Another is saying yes to Jesus and diving into the Babel study, which has impacted me tremendously as well. But one thing lately, I spent a lot of my time thinking about these kids. Kim and I have had the opportunity to lead a class on divorce theory for the children of broken homes. Those of you that know Kim know she's a perfect fit for this class. For me, not so much. It took some time, maybe a nudge or two, but what a blessing they have been to me. I'll admit, at first, I expected they were a bit nice to take the class as well. But to my surprise, they all show up and are always fully engaged. I can't tell you how much I actually look forward to Wednesday and hearing how the week went and all their stories. Thank you, church, for seeing a need to reach these kids. Thank you, Jesus, for guiding us through them. The biggest way that I have said yes to Jesus is through our prayer time at school. Starting with about four or five kids from our prayer group, I have seen up to 12 kids show up and talk to Jesus with us. My hope is that throughout this year, I see our prayer group grow. Dusty and I previously worked in youth ministry, and I was feeling cool again to start helping out for you. Um, walking into that room full of teens that are so eager to grow their relationship with God is really such a blessing. I don't think they realize the impact that they have on our lives as well as our spiritual growth. Saying yes to Jesus has changed my life in so many ways. This past summer at Camp Encounter, my eyes were open to Jesus and I felt his love. This encounter with Jesus changed me. It made me realize I don't have to be scared to speak up about my faith and that what I say does matter. God changed me from a timid person who never wanted to speak up to a leader in the youth. I never thought I would be a leader, but God had different plans. He has given me boldness in my faith. He has helped me have the courage to start a prayer group at the high school. Even when no one would come to it, God encouraged me through Mary and Olivia by them coming and supporting me at the prayer group. Saying yes to Jesus has been the best change in my life. I hope everyone will say yes to Jesus. The time I said yes to Jesus is after a period where I felt him calling me very clearly to something. And I initially told him no because I didn't feel 
like it was fair, or it was just, or the person on the other end deserved it. And um, through continually seeking him and being in his word, he softened my heart towards that person. And I ended up having a friendship with someone who had hurt me and betrayed me, um, maybe deeper than anyone ever has. And I can tell you on the other side of that obedience is the greatest freedom I've ever experienced and enjoy like nothing other, nothing else has ever given me. Um, and it was hard, it's still hard. That relationship hasn't turned out like I imagined it would. Um, but it's a great lesson when we listen to his promptings um, and ask him for the grace and the love to love people the way he does. It doesn't depend as much upon us. And so that's a hard lesson to learn, right? He is good and he is faithful. Hey guys! <laughs> And had we not followed his lead and taken it into our own hands, um, we may not have been able to grow our family by having our son, JJ. Amen, church, right? That's so good. So good. Um, I didn't notice the uh, kind of the, at the first we had a zoo running around Ruth, and then we had a zoo that I could kill, 
So <laughs> I didn't notice that till, till the video. And then Mari had a zoo of humans. Uh, it was really cool. But man, thank y'all for doing that. Uh, stand with me if we, as we wrap up. I want to read this passage as our invitation. Your invitation today is to say yes in some way. It may be as simple as, hey, I'll greet on a Sunday. Or it may be as, as maybe stretching as, I want to lead a new ministry. There's some opportunities for that too. We've got some areas of our church that we really need some new leaders in. Life groups and, and member, new member follow-up and guest follow-up. Or, or maybe you've never taken cookies to somebody or never led a Devo or never even hung around teens or children. Maybe that yes changed your entire life today. I have always loved this passage. And I'm not sure I fully understand it. It comes at a time when Micah, they're looking forward to something better. They've been going to church. They're churchgoers. And God comes through the prophet Micah and goes, I want to tell you something. Going to church is great. <laughs> but what if you gave it? What if you gave me all yourself? Here's what he says. Micah 3.10, God says to the house of Judah and Israel, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, bring me your yes. Don't just show up. Give me yourself. And then he says this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. Whew. Blessings isn't wealth here. Could be. Blessings here is the goodness of God, the kingdom of God. If we want to see the kingdom of God so full in the city of Canadian, Miami, Perryton, Wheeler, in the area, you know what we do? We give him our yes. And we say, God, take it. Do more than I can ever imagine. I'm just here to see you grow in me. If you need prayers for that this morning, we're here for you. But most of all, just answer the call today by walking in that room and giving God a yes. Teens, you guys can do that too. Children, some of you are ready for that too. Give us your yes. We're so thankful y'all are here today. Let's sing out and then we'll have a prayer to close. Whoops. There we go. <laughs> Oh, his truth is mighty, and he will rule. So bow before him and praise his name, my Jesus Christ. Hey, girl. Hey, well, this was appropriate for today. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, just Bryson had messaged me asking if I could...